Well, good morning. I'm glad you're here. I hope that by the end of the service, you also will be glad you're here. The, uh, also, for those who are connecting online, we're glad you're connecting with us. And remember, we're here to elevate God. We're here to experience His presence. We're here to honor Him. Now, I also wanted just to mention that this is the last week in January. Our nudges, 12,000 nudges emphasis has been these Yes, It's Free cards. This is the last week you're going to find them in the foyer. You can pick one of these up. And uh, basically, you know, buy someone's meal and give them a Yes, It's Free card. God's grace is free. And we just want you to know that uh, we love you too. And uh, if you can't afford that, make a batch of cookies for a neighbor. Give them a Yes, It's Free card. It's pretty cool. Next week, we're going to start something entirely different for the month of February, which is going to be really cool. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. So here we go. You're walking on a beach, and suddenly you see a bottle in the sand, right? And you've got one of two options. Here's the first option. Maybe at one time there was an electrical storm and the lightning hit the sand right at that spot and made it hot enough that it melted some of the sand in between the winds and the clutter that was there at the time. That molten silicon dioxide just cooled and morphed into the perfect shape of a bottle. Could be, right? Or option number two. Someone made it. Either floated to the beach or someone who was at the beach littered. Which makes more sense? Or how about this one? You can see two pictures. One's a rocky field, another one's a rock fence. Which one is the product of nature and which one is the product of a designer? Now, I could flip it around if I tried hard enough. My grandkids are perfectly capable of turning this into this, right? (laughs) They love tearing stuff down and they love throwing rocks. So it's possible that my grandkids created this out of this. And I suppose if you stretch your credulity far enough, you could even say it's possible to argue that this wall formed naturally without the existence of a designer. Maybe there was an avalanche. Rocks tumbled, and as they tumbled on their way down, they hit other rocks, broke into smaller pieces, and just happened to land like this. Could have happened that way, I guess, theoretically. No common sense. Common sense is that that rocky field got there naturally and this thing had a designer of some form, right? Now guys, I'm not going to try to get you to all to be sciencey this morning. I'm going to try to challenge you to use some common sense. Some things require a designer, an architect, a craftsman, a cook. You can't just Some things just can't make themselves. If you went to your kitchen and just set some flour and eggs and sugar and butter and vanilla and chocolate chips on the counter, you wouldn't expect to go there in the morning and find some chocolate chip cookies there, right? If you went there and found the chocolate chip cookies, you'd pretty much figure that someone else has been playing with the ingredients. Well, for something as complex as you to exist for the people around you to exist, for something as complex as this universe to exist, for this planet to exist, for anything living on this planet to exist. Guys, there had to be a designer, an architect, craftsman, a cook. The idea that this all happened without the tinkering of God doesn't make sense. I'll show you. Now, this is kind of an odd series for us here at Capital City because we're spending about four months doing what we call apologetics which means defending the faith. What is the case for faith? Why do we believe in God? We're going to unpack so many of the powerful, powerful reasons that there is a God. And that God sure looks a whole lot like the God we Jesus followers follow. 
In fact, we are told by God to be ready to give a reason for our faith in Him. Especially now in a culture like ours that has become hostile towards Jesus' followers. Can you explain to your kids and your friends and your colleagues why you believe in God? Can you explain to them why they should too? Even though there are so many people out there that are trying to pick at and marginalize those of us who do believe. Apostle Peter put it like this. He says, you've got to, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And I hope you do. And he says, if someone asks about your hope as a believer, can you explain it? Can you? So we're going to try to help. We're going to explore a whole bunch of different reasons that we believe in God and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Some of these reasons are not going to appeal to some of you guys. If you don't have a sciency bent, I'm just asking that you tolerate us this morning. Lay down, take a nap, just don't bug anyone else, right? Next few weeks, we'll probably tackle some of the questions that you might have fiddled with. But guys, I think you need to listen. Because ignorance of the big idea that we're going to talk about this morning is the reason some of our kids and our grandkids are walking away from God. Maybe the reason some of you guys doubt God. So try to hang in there, even if you're not the sciency type. And be patient. We'll get to those that will appeal to you too. Now last week, these are really the only two science weeks. We tried to wrap our heads around one of the most powerful evidences that there has to be a God that I think there is. Why is there anything here at all? Why is there something rather than nothing? Do you actually believe that it's possible for this universe to create itself? To come into existence on its own. That's what we tracked last week. We laid out a little syllogism. We said that everything that begins to exist, if it begins, it has to have a cause. God doesn't begin. He's eternal. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. That's clearer now than it ever has been. This universe is not eternal. Therefore, the universe has a cause. There has to be someone who is eternal Someone who is transcendent, someone who is omnipotent. He's got to be incredibly powerful if you're going to create something out of nothing. Think of that, guys. Logically, there has to be something like God or this universe wouldn't be here at all. We explored that last week. This week's kind of a follow-up. And once again, I don't care this morning whether the universe is 6,000 years old or 13.8 billion years old. I don't care either way. There are Jesus followers who lean both ways. The evidence for God we're going to look at works both ways. But I'm going to apply it to the old earth because that's the way most science guys look at it. So that's why I'm going to apply the idea this morning. So, what if before the beginning, our beginning, before this world came into existence, the universe came into existence, there was nothing except God, right? Because God is by nature eternal. God has no beginning. God has no end. He just is. Someone had to be there to get this whole thing started. So before our beginning, there was just God. And then what if, what if there was, they call it a singularity, an infinitesimally small, immensely dense particle that they think maybe contained all of the matter and all of the energy of the universe like a seed ready to explode into the universe as we know it. Someone had to create that seed, guys. 
And then, according to the hypothesis, about 13.8 billion years ago, it kind of like exploded. Call it the Big Bang. Starts expanding outward at incredible speed, the birthday of our universe. And as it expands outward, the matter and the energy starts to cluster and form into these stars and planets and galaxies and forming the universe as you know it when you look up into the sky at night. Still expanding at incredible speed, forming even more stars and planets right now, we're told. And I know, guys, that's stupidly oversimplistic. But something like that is how they think it happened. And yet, here it is, guys. If you had all this matter and this energy expanding outward at incredible speed, why did it start clumping together to form stars and planets and galaxies? Didn't have to, you know. In fact, the odds were incredibly against it. Do you have any idea how many variables have to be finely tuned for the universe as we see it to exist? It boggles the mind. If there was this infinitesimally small, immensely dense particle that started expanding at these boggling speeds, it did not have to take shape as the universe that you see when you look up into the sky at night. In fact, the odds are incredible that it would, unless, unless there's an architect, a designer, a craftsman, a cook. The idea that it could have done this without God is too big a leap of faith. Stephen Hawking, ever heard of him? He was not a Christian. Here's what he said. He said, if the overall density of the universe was changed by even 0.0000000000001%, no stars or galaxies could be formed. If the rate of expansion one second after the Big Bang had been smaller by even one part in 100,000 million million, the universe would have collapsed before reaching its present size. Guys, it didn't have to end up like this. It shouldn't have. Francis Collins, he's the guy who headed up the Human Genome Project. He's an incredible scientist. He says, when you look at the perspective, from the perspective of the scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew we were coming. There are 15 constants, he says, gravitational, various constants about strong and weak nuclear force that have precise values. And he says, even if any one of those constants was off by one part in a million, or in some cases, one part in a million million, this universe could not have come to the point where we see it. Matter would have not been able to coalesce. There would have been no galaxies, no stars, no planets, no people. In fact, Stephen Hawking said, the odds against a universe like ours emerging out of something like the Big Bang are enormous. No kidding. In fact, even though he's not a Christian, he said, I think there are clearly religious implications. Huh, go figure. See what I'm saying, guys? It's an evidence of God. There had to be a designer. There had to be a craftsman for this thing to take shape. So it starts out with nothing can get birthed out of nothing, right? Go figure. So there had to be something. And then when the Creator created something, it defies all odds that it coalesced into the universe as we know it. It kind of looks like there had to be a designer, an architect, a craftsman, a cook. But those are just the first two conundrums. How did a place like this come about? This earth that we live on, this Goldilocks planet. How could it form? 
Do you have any ideas how many variables have to be fine-tuned for a planet like this to be able to support life? It has to be the right size, right kind of sun, right kind of moon, right kind of outer planets to protect it in just the right part of the galaxy. Have the right kind of core, right kind of crust, right kind of tectonic activity for some reason. I don't know why. Has to have the right amount of water, the right distance from the sun so the water doesn't evaporate or freeze. Has to have the right kind of atmosphere, the right kind of magnetic field. Long list. In fact, we're going to dig a little deeper into that part on Wednesday night. We have a follow-up study on this on Wednesdays. I actually read one article said that there are 154 factors that have to be just right if a planet's going to support life, and the odds are astronomical. I suppose it could be chance. One really smart guy said an honest man, armed with all the knowledge available to us, could only state that in some sense, the origin of life appears at the moment to be almost a miracle. Go figure. So many are the conditions which would have had to have been satisfied to get it going. Guys, it really looks like there was an architect, a designer, a master craftsman on steroids, cosmic chef, an omnipotent and omniscient God. It doesn't stop there. How do you go from dirt to a living cell? How do you make that leap? A living self replicating cell. How do, you, how do you get from dirt to even the simplest single-celled amoeba and then on to the more complex forms of life? Each one of these having these cells with this incredibly sophisticated DNA, which is kind of like the instruction manual not only for that cell but for every other cell in that body. Just blind chance? Really? When I was back in school, they told us that at the earliest days of our earth, there were these primordial pools, chemically enriched with everything that was necessary for life, kind of like a stew ready to cook up some life. All it needed was some energy, and lightning would strike and cause the chemicals in the primordial pool to start collecting into these amino acids, which are necessary for life. They actually did experiments to see if that could happen. Over time, they figured the amino acids would keep combining and evolving until somehow on their own they crossed over the threshold to life. They did these experiments showing how they could put all these different raw materials into their own primordial soup and they would hit it with electricity and they'd begin to see some amino acids start to form. How cool. They couldn't get it to go any further, but it was cool. Start. And for many proof that we didn't need God. Well, ever since then, they've discovered it's not that simple. Because the kind of primordial soup that they concocted in their laboratory was not really like the elements that would have been on the earth in its earliest stage. And even if they could cook up some amino acids, there are huge, huge leaps, one after the other after the other, to get to life. And they have no idea how the steps from dirt to DNA to a living cell might have taken place. There's this chasm between dirt and life. In fact, the guy who worked out the experiment, who pumped the electricity into his own primordial soup, here's what he said 40 years later. He said, the problem of the origin of life has turned to be more difficult than I envisioned. No kidding. One guy kind of compared it. He said it's kind of like telling somebody that you can create a newspaper headline by pouring some ink onto a piece of paper. 
Good luck with that. Another guy said, the probability of the origin of a single functional protein of even modest length by chance alone is something like 10 to the 64th power, 10 with 64 zeros after it. And a single cell has hundreds of specialized proteins. Chance? Maybe. But do you think it makes more sense that there was actually someone like God who was moving things along? Can you actually say that acknowledging the tinkering of a designer like God is anti-science? That's stupid. In fact, Francis Crick, he was one of the Nobel Prize winners who worked out the structure of DNA. And remember, he didn't believe in God. He said, an honest man, armed with the knowledge available to us, could only state that in some sense, the origin of life appears to be almost a miracle. <laughs> Go figure. So many are the conditions which would have had to have been satisfied to get it going. Guys, we believe that nature, at the least, had some supernatural help, right? Don't you think? Do you get the implications of this stuff? Are you seeing it? To live as if there is no God makes no sense. It takes more faith to push God away than to believe in God. You can see God's fingerprints all over His creation. And then how in the world do you get from amoeba to animals like these? I know, maybe they evolved, right? And frankly, I don't care whether it happened evolutionarily or not. What I care about is that it could not have happened without God in the center of it. There are too many, way too many untenable leaps of faith required to think that it could have happened without God. Let me just give you one little piece of evidence. I know this is kind of an odd one, but some guys say, think about your eyeball. Think about your eye. Okay? Focus on the eye. That's a joke, by the way, right? Not a good one, but it's a joke. So the guys at Popular Mechanics, they tore up a set of binoculars and they put it into 172 pieces. That's what a binocular looks like, right? With all of its pieces separated has to have some sophisticated lenses, fit into a carefully designed protective housing for the lenses, got to have some lens caps to keep it protected. You have to have some way to adjust the focus for each lens, very sophisticated. And this is child's play compared to your eyeball. Your eyes have a cornea that bends the light that enters your eye just perfectly. Pupils that expand and shrink depending on how much light there is, an iris, a muscle that controls the size of your pupils. They have a lens that focuses the light that comes into your eye on this retina, which transforms the light into all these electrical signals that pass through this optic nerve to the brain, which has the capacity to translate those electrical signals into images. Did you know that the human retina has 130 million receptor cells. 140 million are rod-shaped cells enabling you to differentiate between light and darkness. Six million are cone-shaped, allowing you to identify up to eight million variations of color. I don't believe that one. I think guys have fewer than that because we can only associate about eight or ten colors, right? Chance? just the product of mindless evolution? 
One guy said a partial eye wouldn't work. 5% of an eye wouldn't give you 5% vision. It'd give you none. The eye could not have developed incrementally, guys. He says, what's more, even if all the physical components of an eye were there in place, they wouldn't do anything if they weren't wired to this amazing complex of nerve cells in the brain. Small wonder, he says, that someone has suggested examination of the eye is a cure for atheism. If you want to figure out why you're a believer in God, look in the mirror and look at your eyes. In fact, fact, Dr. Ming Wang is an MD from Harvard, PhD from MIT, world-renowned eye surgeon. Started out as a student, as an atheist. He says, the more I learned about science, the more, not less, the more evidence I saw of God's creation and design. For example, he says, as I was becoming an ophthalmologist, learning about the inner workings of the eye, the amazing logical arrangement of the photoreceptors and ganglion cells and neurons, I realized that there is absolutely no way that such an intricate structure like a human eye could ever evolve from just a random compilation of cells. The complexity of the human eye is, in fact, the most powerful evidence of the existence of God. Your eyeball is a proof of God, guys. See it? It's so cool. You see where it's leading us? It's being questioned, guys, but there has to be an eternal, transcendent, omniscient, omnipotent God. There has to be. And I'm not going to touch on the biggest leap of all. How in the world do you go from animals like these to humans? Creatures that are entirely different with a soul. The psalmist sensed the wonder of it all when he says this. He says, when I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, God, the moon and the stars that you set in place, and if you've ever looked up, it's mind-boggling. What are mere mortals like us that you should think about us? Human beings that you should care for us? And yet, you have made us a little lower than God and crowned us with glory and honor. Go figure. Think about it. How do you get from a pile of dirt to any one of you guys without God? It takes way more blind faith than accepting Him. There's a designer, guys. There's an architect of all of this, a master craftsman, really, really, really smart, really, really, really powerful cosmic cook. About 3,000 years ago, one of the most famous men in history said this. He said, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. No kidding. The skies display his craftsmanship. No kidding. And David had no idea how amazing the craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. You can see that there has to be one, guys. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the whole earth, their words to the whole world. world. Guys, David didn't know any of the sciencey stuff that we went through this morning, but all science has done is to confirm what David sensed. Maybe even earlier than David, there was a guy named Job. He said these words, he says, can, actually speaking for God, he says, can you solve the mysteries of God, the omniscient one? Can you discover everything about That knowledge is higher than the heavens, and who are you? 
It's deeper than the underworld. What do you know? Not much. It's broader and it's wider than the universe itself. We know a whole lot more about this world that God made than Job did, probably. But the chasm between what we know and what we can do compared to the, what the Creator knows and what the Creator has done, I has to be a God, guys. About 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul put it like this. He said, you guys know the truth about God. You know. You know it, guys. He's made it obvious to us. For ever since this world was created, people have looked at the earth and they've looked at the sky and you can see his fingerprints, his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. No kidding. So we have no excuse for not knowing God. And he goes on to say, even so, we knew God, but we wouldn't worship him as God or give him thanks. Why? Why won't we? I read about one professor who would take a combination lock and he'd pass it around the classroom. And he'd tell all of his students to give it one shot at opening it. Three spins. See if he could open it up. What are the odds? If you really want to know the odds for that lock, about 64,000 to one. One of the students would always get it. They'd open up the lock. Other students would invariably accuse the student of cheating. And they were right. Because the professor would always hand out the combination to some student before class, right? Might have happened by chance, but what are the odds? And then the professor would ask his students to consider all the probabilities that this happened without God. From nothing at all to something, ex nihilo, without God, go figure. From an infinitesimally small, almost infinitely dense particle to what you see when you look up into a dark night at, uh, sky at night. What are the odds? To a Goldilocks planet like this one, this earth, from dirt to a living cell. From a living cell to an eyeball. Chance? From an animal to a man with a soul. Blind chance? Or must there have been an eternal, transcendent, omnipotent, omniscient creator? An architect, a designer, a master craftsman, a cosmic cook. And here's what's more amazing than any of that. A God that big, a God that eternal, a God that transcendent, omnipotent, omniscient. Why in the world would he love you and me? Why would he enter into our story and walk with us and talk with us to point us back towards God? What does he need with us? Why would he die for us? Why would he even stay dead for a couple of days? Then walk out of his tomb, because a God can do that. Offering you and me and everyone else life with God, the kind of life we were meant for, both for now and forever. Why would a God this big care for things so little? Why would a God this eternal care for things so fleeting like us? I don't know. 
But even more mysterious, why would creatures as little and fleeting as us blow off the nudges of that big a God? Guys, when that eternal, transcendent, omnipotent, omniscient, perfectly holy, perfectly just, yet stunningly loving God nudges you, when he beckons you, which he will, which he has, which he may be doing right now, how are you going to respond when God nudges you? There's a God, guys. There's a boatload of reasons to stand tall as a Jesus follower. There is a God. And he is not the puny God that so many people picture. He's a God worthy of wonder, gratitude, devotion, and worship. Let's pray together. Father, sometimes we just go through life and we just blow you off. Not considering how every breath we take is your gift. Everything we enjoy in this world is your gift, your creation. And the biggest gift of all is that you offer us life with you. Give us the wisdom and the courage not to blow that off, but to make you our center as you deserve to be. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Guys, we're going to sing a song in just a moment. It's a great little song. And and then we're going to have the Lord's Supper together. During that time, I'm going to sit right over there, okay? There's also an elder praying for you right now in that prayer room in the back of the room. And if any of you guys decide you want to talk about making your life turn towards God, if you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to talk with you. Would you come down and talk to me, talk to the elder back there, hang around after the service, talk to me then. If you'd like to make Capital City your home, this is a great time to do it. Sometime during this next song or during the Lord's Supper, come on down and just join me in the front. And when the Lord's Supper is over, you can make Capital City your home if you wish to do that in this place. Right now, let's stand and let's sing to our God.